Okay. Um, in this last meeting, we come to Proverbs 31. And um, I'd like to just give a few comments before we get into the outline. The first thing I would like to say is concerning the general subject of this training. It's about patterns. Patterns of sisters who are useful to God for his economy. This word pattern is very crucial. You know, in the Christian life, we don't just need teaching. We need patterns. It's one thing to hear the teaching. It's another thing to see what that looks like in a person's life. And the value of studying these uh, types is we see patterns. But I'm also burdened that in the church life today, there will be patterns like these. Patterns that the sisters can follow. The greatest blessing in my life and service in the church is that I had good patterns to observe. All of us can learn the teaching, but we have to see it. We have to see what it looks like. And um, I'm very concerned about the younger generation of sisters, because what I see is they are struggling mightily And it's not for lack of truth. It's not for lack of knowledge. They're struggling in their marriages. They're struggling in their families. They need patterns. They need patterns. So I hope the Lord would burden us. And I hope he would raise up among the middle-aged saints, among the older saints, real patterns for the younger sisters, we need that desperately. Now, this Proverbs 31, as Brother Ray just told us, it doesn't talk about a specific person. We've covered three specific persons. We covered Rahab, we covered Deborah, we covered Ruth. But this person in Proverbs 31 is not a particular person. It's a kind of person, a type of person, which we call a worthy woman for God's economy. Well, for sure, Ruth and Deborah and Rahab fall into this category. They are worthy women for God's economy, but their stories are quite specific, and this is more general. Let me just give you a verse here, Uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 11. It says, and now this is Boaz, this is Boaz talking to Ruth. And now, my daughter, do not fear. All that you say, I will do for you. 
for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. So this verse connects Ruth to Proverbs 31. She is one of these. She is such a worthy woman. And when we read these books like um, Ruth and Proverbs and Song of Songs, you can interpret them in an individual way. You can also interpret them in a corporate way. But strictly speaking, Song of Songs is not actually a book on the church. It's a book on the individual seeker's experience of loving the Lord. And the same with Ruth. You can interpret Ruth and Boaz as a type of Christ and the church. You can also interpret Ruth as the journey, the life journey, and the love journey of an individual believer. Well, I say the same thing about Proverbs 31. You can interpret this worthy woman as the church. That's right. And you can also interpret this worthy woman as an individual lover and seeker of the Lord. Our emphasis in this outline, and actually in this whole training, our emphasis has been more on the individual, or let's say the personal, the personal side. Now, as we touch this matter, I like to say something. What is a worthy Okay, saints, um, I'm sorry. I think the enemy does not want such a word to be spoken. But we will persevere. Can you hear me okay? Okay. I was just about to say that God's thought concerning a worthy woman is revealed in his word. And I would like to make a contrast. And that is, what is the world's definition of a worthy woman? Probably you could tell me much more than I could tell you. But I think I know a little bit. The world's definition is, A worthy woman is capable and independent. Okay, saints, um, I'm sorry. It seems the enemy does not want us to have this fellowship, but the Lord does want us to have it. I don't know what the last, I don't know what the last thing you heard is if I repeat myself. I'm sorry, Um, God's definition of a worthy woman is shown to us 
through the patterns in his word and most most specifically in Proverbs chapter 31, man's thought, or let's say the thought of this age concerning a worthy woman is quite different. This age would consider a worthy woman, one who is capable, one who is independent, one who is equal to a male in every way, one who is submissive to no one, and one who is dependent on no one. Do you agree with me? That's what I see in society today. They say, we don't, we don't need a man. We don't even need a man to have a child. We'll just adopt a child. So forget men. We don't need men. And this week, I was fellowshipping with the saints in another locality. I don't like to say where. And the brothers told me that the wife of one of the leading ones left him. And she joined a cult that is headed up by a woman. And this woman teaches this feminism. And she teaches that women should hate men because men are oppressors. And she also teaches that if you are married, you should divorce immediately. Can you believe it? There's such a group. And this sister got influenced by that. And she divorced her husband. And I know her husband. He's a very dear brother. He, he's a leading one in one of the churches. Well, I just share this to tell you how corrupt, how far from God's view the present age has gone, that this has even become a kind of teaching. Well, my sisters, I hope the Lord would have mercy on all of us. And I'm, I'm especially very, very concerned for the younger sisters because they grew up under this kind of wrong thought. And it's a uh, direct attack of Satan on the church, actually. See, marriage was ordained by God for his economy and for the building up of the church. Marriage is not a human institution. The first marriage was not originated by a man. God invented marriage. God ordained marriage. The first marriage in the universe was performed by God himself. So it's not a social institution. It's not a human institution. And in Matthew 19, the Lord said, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That means God is the one who ordained marriage for what? For his economy, for the building up of the church. 
And I would also say marriage is not a religious institution. Religion did not invent marriage. They usurped it, but they didn't invent it. (coughs) No, God ordained it. For what? For his economy, for the building up of the church. So this attack on marriage, which comes through the door of feminism, is actually an attack on God's economy. It's an attack on the building up of the church. I hope we could see this. Now, um, during the training on Proverbs, I was so enlightened to see that the main characteristic of a worthy woman is that she fears the Lord. I had never picked up this word before, but it's right there when you get to the end of Proverbs 31. She fears the Lord. Let me say a word about fearing the Lord. Uh, Roman numeral one says the first principle for man to live a proper human life is for him to fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord equals revering the Lord. That's a sense of reverence. It's to revere him. In other words, when we hear the word fear, we have a negative thought, like I'm afraid of the Lord. No, it doesn't mean that we are afraid of him as a person. That's not the biblical meaning. It also does not mean that we're afraid that he will punish us. No, no, the the biblical meaning of fearing the Lord is to, to revere him, to hold him in awe. You know, in the book of Hebrews, there's a verse that talks about serving him with godly fear and awe. It means we are in awe of his person, not that we are afraid of him. So here's a further definition. To fear the Lord is to be in fear of offending him, of losing his presence, and of not receiving him as our reward in the next age. We should be in fear of missing the Lord's smile in this age and his reward in the next age. Then a little more definition on this matter of fear. To fear God is to trust in him. We would normally not associate these two things, but you have all the verses here from Proverbs that tell us fearing God and trusting in him are the same thing. To fear the Lord also means that we honor him. We honor him. Then point C it's wonderful. You would never think this if it weren't in the Bible. <clears throat> the holy fear of the Lord is actually a source of joy as a fountain of life and as a tree of life to dispense God into us for the carrying out of his economy. This is the book of Proverbs. 
So this is directly, uh, this makes the connection between fearing the Lord and God's economy. The worthy woman fears the Lord. So she is useful to God for his economy. Now, point D says, the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord are two wonderful results of the forgiveness of our sins. Really so. Once our sins are forgiven, we love him and we fear him. Okay, now we get to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 presents to us two models of those who fear the Lord. On the one hand, we should be like a king, a royal man, like the Lord, having the authority to rule. On the other hand, we should be a worthy woman. Listen, here's, here's what a worthy woman knows how to do. Knowing how to arrange, manage, take care of, and provide for the needs of the saints in the house of God. Amen. Very good. Let me say a word about this word, worthy. It's a very difficult word to translate from the Hebrew language into English. I don't know Burmese, so I, I don't know how it translates into Burmese. But let me tell you, in Hebrew, Hebrew language, all the, all the words are derived from roots. It's just the way that language is structured. And the root of this word, worthy, is actually an army, a warrior, a troop. You could translate this word valiant, a valiant woman, or a warrior woman. Very meaningful. Who's, who's the warrior woman in the Bible? The church. The church is the warrior bride. And Certainly, you see that with Deborah. Deborah is a warrior. Yes, she's a worthy woman. She's also a warrior. Well, this is, this is part of the meaning of a worthy woman. She's a fighter. She loves the Lord and she fights against the enemy, both. Of course, she does, because that's what the church does. The church is the bride of Christ, and that same person, the bride, is the warrior. That's true of the church corporately. It should also be true of us individually. Okay, uh, A, Proverbs 31, 3 through 9 speaks of a reigning king, one who does not drink wine, but who speaks for the rights of others and ministers justice typifying Christ and his overcomers. Only this kind of person can reign. Sisters, we all have to be kings and 
a worthy woman. B says, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, describes a worthy woman. And I'm glad we took the time to read all of those verses. Weren't you impressed when we were reading those verses, the uh, description of the worthy woman? And here's, here's a summary. One who is wise, diligent, and capable, and who can arrange, manage, and provide for her household, that's a worthy woman. Her price is far above corals. Her glory surpasses all her peers. This worthy woman typifies both the church corporately and the saints individually who love the Lord, who love the Lord. Now, the subpoints under B tell us the characteristics of this worthy woman. The main characteristic of a worthy woman is that she fears the Lord. And here's a definition of fearing the Lord. I hope you could pick this up because if we are going to be worthy, this is a big part of the meaning. Reverently worshiping, obeying, serving, and trusting the Lord with awe-filled respect. I love this definition. This is why we sang the hymn about trusting and obeying. Let me read it again. To fear is to reverently worship, to obey, to serve, and to trust the Lord with an awe-filled respect. And then here's a quote from the end of this chapter. Grace is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Jehovah, she will be praised. That's another thing the world values so much is outward beauty. The problem with outward beauty, it doesn't last. It doesn't last. But a woman who fears Jehovah, oh, that's the real beauty that lasts. She will be praised. Here it says, the heart of the husband of a worthy woman trusts in her. How about this? Oh, I like this. Her husband her husband's heart trusts in her. Why? Because she becomes such a blessing to her husband. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. 
I told you before, and I will tell you again, I'm sitting here today serving the Lord because of my wife, a worthy woman. I couldn't serve if she did not support me, if she was not one with me, if she was not willing to sacrifice. I couldn't do it. I have to have that support. And I hope all of the sisters would be this kind of worthy woman in supporting their husband. Um, you know, we saw the contrast where Deborah, Deborah supported Barak and brought him into function and Delilah destroyed Samson's function by weakening his consecration. I hope we would all be a Deborah, a worthy woman, and not a Delilah. And I'm very concerned. I, I, I can hardly express to you the depth of my concern for the younger sisters today. Because what I see is the poison of feminism, the poison has gotten into them through the educational system, through the media, through who knows what. And their thought is to be totally independent of their husband. May the Lord raise up some patterns that will train them and perfect them in this matter. Okay, um, let's go on. Such a worthy and prudent woman is from the Lord as a crown of her husband. How about that? You should be a crown to your husband, just like the church should be a crown to Christ. You have such a word in Song of Songs also. A crown. Her children and her husband rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her by saying that she surpasses all others. Really so. She surpasses all others. Now we come to, in the next few points, we come to the New Testament application of this worthy woman in um, Proverbs 31. And I think this is helpful because sometimes it's hard for us to apply the Old Testament type we say, well, that's great, but it's, you know, it's mainly poetic. It doesn't, it doesn't give us the plain word that the New Testament gives us. So now let's look at the plain word of the New Testament. First Peter 3, 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. In like manner... Wives, be subject to your own husbands, 
that even if any disobey the word, that means if any husbands disobey the word, they will be gained without the word through the manner of life of their wives. Do you understand what it's saying? Maybe they don't even receive the word. But if they see a living in their wife that is worthy, then they will be gained without the word. They'll be gained by the living of their wife. This is Peter's meaning. Seeing with their own eyes your pure manner of life in fear. How about this? Here's the fear. This is the fear that we have been talking about. And in the footnote, it says this is a holy fear, a healthy, serious caution that leads us to behave holily or in a holy way. Of course, Peter talks about this kind of fear quite a bit. Okay, then verse three. Let your adorning not be the outward plating of hair and putting on of gold or clothing with garments. Don't pay that much attention to verse three. We could get lost in the details. The point is not that. The point is verse four. But the hidden man of the heart in the incorruptible adornment of a meek and quiet spirit, which is very costly in the sight of God. This is a New Testament application of a worthy woman. She also has the fear of the Lord. And this fear of the Lord motivates her to have a pure manner of life. You know, we didn't do many times when we've had the sisters trainings in the past, we had questions and answers or responses. We didn't do that this time. But one of the questions that we frequently encounter is this one. If the husband is not pursuing the Lord, if he's not seeking the Lord, if he's not open to the Lord, what should you do? Well, what you should do is live a holy, a pure manner of life in fear. That will gain him. That will gain him. You know, there's a book in the ministry I'd like to mention to you. Uh, maybe you have seen it. If you haven't, I hope you would get it. Um, let me uh, look it up here very quickly. Oops. The title of the book is Eating the Lord. Eating the Lord. And... This is a wonderful book. It's actually quite a short book. And in this short book, let me pull it up. I'll I just read a little bit to you. Uh, 
now that the internet's working again. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I didn't prepare this ahead of time. Okay, the title of the book is Eating the Lord. I believe it's chapter two. Let me look. Ah, yeah. Okay, chapter two of the book Eating the Lord. I'll just read a little bit to you, and you'll, I think you'll get my point. And it matches First Peter exactly. You know, this um, chapter talks about Matthew chapter 15. Remember in Matthew 15, there was a Canaanite woman whose, um, whose child was sick. Her daughter was actually demon-possessed. And she came to the Lord and she said, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter suffers terribly from demon possession. Okay, then the Lord, the Lord answers her, not talking about demon possession, but talking about bread. He says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Okay, let me skip down. Her concept was, her concept was the Lord needed to do a miracle in order to heal her daughter. But the Lord's concept is she needs, she, the mother, needed to eat the Lord. She needed to eat the Lord. And if she would eat the Lord, if she would do that, then that would solve the problem with her child. Say, how does that work? How could it be that me eating the Lord solves the problem of my children? Well, It is. Okay, let me read a little. The Canaanite woman came to ask the Lord to do something for her. She begged the Lord to heal her sick daughter. However, the Lord's answer did not give any hint that he was going to do something. He said that he was the bread to feed her. By this we understand that We do not need the Lord Jesus to do anything for us. Instead, we need to eat the Lord Jesus. Sisters, is your husband ill? Do not ask the Lord first to heal his sickness. The reason your husband is ill is so that you may eat the Lord Jesus. Take the Lord Jesus into you, and then your husband's illness will be healed. Are you vexed by your children's disobedience? You often pray that the Lord will perform a miracle to make your children obedient. However, the more you pray, the less effective your prayers are. The more you pray, the more disobedient your children are. Now you have to learn this secret. 
You have to eat the Lord more. Eat the Lord well, and your child will be healed. Whenever you have a need, it is a proof that you need to eat the Lord Jesus. Have you lost your job? Do not pray to the Lord for a good job. All you need to do is eat the Lord Jesus and the job will appear. When unbelievers hear these words, they will think that I am talking nonsense. But the experienced ones know that the job comes out of our eating the Lord. Do not ask the Lord Jesus to do something outside of you. Rather, eat the Lord and take him into your being. Brothers and sisters, your family life has problems because you do not eat Jesus. Listen to this, sisters. When the wives eat Jesus, the husbands change for the better. Would you like your husband to change? Don't tell him to change. Eat the Lord. When the husbands eat Jesus, the wives change for the better. When the children eat Jesus, the parents are no longer a problem. When the parents eat the Lord Jesus, the children have a turn. Okay, I just stopped here. I think I I stopped the reading here. I think you get my point. And the Lord's point there is we have a very natural view and our focus is on our problem being solved. God's focus is on dispensing himself into us to carry out his economy. And when he does that, when he dispenses himself into us to carry out his economy, guess what? Our problem gets solved. But something much greater happens, much greater. And that much greater thing that happens is that God himself is dispensed into us and his economy is carried out. Which would you prefer? Just to have your problem solved? Your problem will get solved, but it'll be solved in the way of God's economy. It won't be a miraculous solution. Okay, I read on to point five. By the way, I just repeat again, The title of that book, I hope you would go back and read it. The title of that book is Eating the Lord. And it's chapter two. Okay. Point five. In the proper church life, the sisters should adorn themselves in proper clothing with modesty and sobriety, which is self-restraint. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing, but what befits women professing godly reverence by good works. Godly reverence is a godly fear towards God, a revering and honoring of God as is fitting For one who worships God. Now, this is a very similar word to 1 Peter 3, but this word is from 1 Timothy. 
And we all know that the books of Timothy and Titus were written during a time of degradation of the church. And this was Paul's word to the sisters during the time of degradation that they would clothe themselves with good works, clothe themselves. Okay, now uh, point six, older women, this is from Titus, older women should be reverent in their behavior, their deportment, so that they may train the young women. My sisters, we need this so much. We need older women to train the young women to do what? To be spiritual? No. They need to be trained to love their husbands, to love their children, to be of a sober mind, pure, workers at home, good, subject to their own husbands, that the word of God would not be blasphemed. You know, if among us, we don't have the proper marriage life, we don't have the proper human life, we don't have the proper family life, the word of God is blasphemed. People say, all you have is teaching. You have all the doctrine, you have all the teaching, but look at your, look at your marriage, look at your family. It's a shame to us when the families are divided and destroyed. And actually, the sisters, according to Titus 2, 3 through 5, the sisters play a very large role in the preservation of the families in the church. You know, every week... Every Monday night, I meet with a group of elders, and we pray very, very much for this matter. But in a very real sense, the sisters are more important than we are in this regard. We can talk to the brothers, but we really can't talk to the sisters about these things. We need the experienced and spiritual and mature sisters to do this kind of training. So C says, in the aspect of overcoming, we should be like a king. In the aspect of loving the Lord, we should be like a worthy woman. Being like this will cause us to have value and glory before the Lord. Well, I hope you can pick up the burden of this message. Um, the sisters all need to aspire that they would be such a worthy woman. And they need to aspire to raise up those after them to be such a worthy woman. This will be a tremendous blessing to the church. 
and a tremendous shame to the enemy. Okay, I think I will stop here and um, the brothers will tell us, I believe we're going to have some prophesying from Myanmar, but the brothers will tell us what, what will come next.